This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 184. Well, just ahead, fuel cell energy running out of energy? And steel companies showing us what the end of inflation really looks like. And a winning digital strategy fueling growth at cloud computing company DigitalOcean. Our guest at DigitalOcean CEO, Yancey Spruill. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And right now, I'm going to help you make sure you don't miss a single episode of The Drill Down. All you've got to do is click the button that says subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And that way, you'll catch every single episode of The Drill Down. And the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We're going to have some business stories that explain why some stocks are moving around, at least moving around in terms of price. Used to be Isaac, you could, uh, Isaac Webster's with us right now as well, our executive producer. Isaac, you could, you could hold a newspaper and it would have the prices of the stocks closed from the previous day. Like, um, like a physical something that you put in yes, your hands? Yes, that used to be how most of us got stock prices. Oh, wow. So when, when was this? Well, price, what years were these? If you want to move the stock price, you'd take the newspaper in your hands and shake it around. <laughs> Wouldn't change, but it would move. And that's about as informative as business TV is. Yeah. I should know. I used to make business TV with your help. That's right. We did the best we could, right? And now we make this beautiful music, this podcast. Yeah, it's the sound effects time of the season. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, we've got some interesting ones. I want to start with Calavo Growers. Calavo Growers uh, trades under CVGW, and shares have dropped 14% over the past five days and lost 32% over the past 12 months. CVGW currently trading around 29 bucks a share with a 52-week high of $45 a share. What does Calavo Growers grow, you're wondering? Oh, yes. You took the words right out of my mouth. Avocados. Ah, lots of avocados, about a billion dollars worth of avocados. In fact, in the last fiscal year, $1.2 billion of avocados were sold by Cavallo growers, growers, I said in English. Um, uh, That's more than the 1.1 billion the previous year. Their profits were $74 million, uh, significantly higher than 57 million the year before. But in the most recent quarter, falling avocado avocado prices led the company's revenues to decline 11% year over year. 
Um, another number of avocados sold were down 4%, but prices down 20%. So yeah, the company uh, uh, had a, a smaller quarter in terms of revenues uh, and lost $2.5 million, but that's much better than the previous year when they were selling lots of avocados, but they were, they were so expensive. Um, it was good for revenues, but bad for cost of sales. And they lost $13 million, only losing $2.5 million in the most recent quarter. Um, they did see some improvement. They've got new management of this company, some improvement in prepared foods, selling guacamole, fresh cut fruit, fresh cut fruit. Boy, I can't speak to that. I should, you know, if I had had those avocados, I'd be, my, my, my body would be filled with those rich omega-3 fatty acids, Isaac. Don't you start out your days with uh, avocado toast? I do not. Oh. Well, you don't it was live lox it. and a bagel today. Okay. A schmear. Okay. It was a Norwegian thing. Sure. I don't know if they call it a schmear in Norway, but yes, nonetheless, avocados, um, uh, interesting business uh, and a bit changing business. Here's CEO Brian Coker. We had an avocado business that saw 15% less Mexican volume in the market. Um, market prices that went from $35 a case to $70 a case, back to $30 a case. Uh, so extreme volatility. And somehow in all of that, in that grown business, we managed to deliver gross profit per case that was, for the year anyway, over a course of time, right in the middle of our guidance of 3 to $4 a, a case. We managed to increase the, the gross profit dollars and we managed to do that when volume was down almost 12% for the year. So, I mean, a lot of good resiliency there. I think most importantly, and this gets to some of your, your question regarding 23 and the run rate, the prepared fresh cut business really has been a, a bright spot for us. If you think about it, when I took this seat, I think there was a large part of our investment community that didn't even know if this was a legitimate business. Could we even make money at that? And we've gone from zero gross profit to a business that at least for the last half of this year, averaged right around 8% gross margin percent for, for the last half of the year. So as we think about heading into 2023 and then exiting 23, think about that number of 10 to 12% as an annualized number. There'll still be a little bit of seasonality and, and it will be less than that. And, you know, I'm sure in the first quarter, probably less than that in the, in the fourth quarter, but annually, very similar to how we guide annually to the, to the gross margin per case in the avocado business. Annually, we ought to think about that uh, fresh cut business as um, 10 to 12% exit rate headed into 2024. So who knew there was a billion dollar publicly traded avocado company out there um, that's, uh, that's going through some interesting changes and we're in a place where, you know, in a much broader sense, we've been talking so much about inflation and the cost of inflation and the difficulties inflation presents, but it's not all these companies just taking massive profits because they can charge more for their goods. They've got to pay more for those goods too. And that's been a challenge for this avocado maker um, in the last year. When you wanted to talk about Calavalo, uh, Calavo, how do you pronounce it? Calavo. Calavo. Calavo Growers. I didn't recognize the name, but now that we're talking about avocados, I realize um, we have a lot of Calavo avocados in our house at any given time. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, maybe that's more of a California thing than, yeah. than the rest of the country. I don't know. We're lucky to have uh, such great, uh, great fresh food, fresh fruit here in the state kind of all year round. 
avocado is a big part of that. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at the steel business. I want to talk a little bit more about inflation with a look at Worthington Industries. Worthington Industries trades under WOR. WOR shares have declined 10% over the past four weeks, but shares are flat for the year. So Worthington Industries, uh, an interesting company, uh, North American uh, steel processor based in Columbus, Ohio. And um, the company came out with earnings uh, that showed to me the story of how difficult it is to unwind inflation. Because one of the things you had happen with this steel maker, and not unlike the avocado store we just talked about, is that this company, when they were the, when their cost of their inputs increased greatly, even though now the input costs have gone down, the raw materials they acquired were at a such higher price that it really has hurt their their gross margins. So when they announced uh, uh, their their earnings for the quarter of just forty four cents, um, uh, way below a dollar sixty one um, from last quarter. Uh, again, you thought because steel price, because steel costs or the raw material costs had gone down, maybe that'd be good for these guys. But first in, first out inventory really hurt this company, um, and as a result, uh, uh, the driver of that inventory, um, um, uh, you know, the driver, the future inventory costs will be lower. But the inventory they went through this burnt through, pun intended, the inventory they went through in this quarter was in fact um, a lot more expensive because of the time that they bought it. But also interestingly, this company is going through a spinoff where they're getting rid of some of their steel business and keeping other parts of their steel business. And without getting too far into the weeds, I thought the the conversation on the earnings call with a, with a different kind of research analyst and chief operating officer, Jeffrey Gilmore, uh, that analyst is named uh, uh, John Tumazos. And he has a, uh, looks like a one-man uh, shop of materials industry research, a former prudential analyst that he calls very independent research. And you can get a sense of what it's like to be a, a chief operating officer on a conference call when this guy's looking at the the business and the big merger expenses they're taking on and the advice that they're getting on how to run their own company, starting to tick off some shareholders. And yes, this analyst, listen to this toing and froing between the chief operating officer of Worthington and uh, uh, the very independent research analyst, John Tumazos. The um, real sort of driver there on the raw side is you know we do have some seasonality and you get ready and you know january tends to be a pretty big month on the steel processing side uh you know steel prices you know we're going up and then coming down and you're you're buying in in different buckets and then on the finished goods side what you had there is really in the more driven by the consumer and the building product side of things. Remember, a year ago, uh, we couldn't keep any inventory. We were uh, had more orders than we could satisfy. And so we were literally sending things out the door as soon as we could make them. Um, and so inventories just have returned to more normal levels, uh, especially seasonally relative to where they were a year ago. Thank you. Thank you. And I don't know what those advisors are charging you for three million a month, but it's a hell of a lot of money to tell you what you already know. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it is it is definitely uh, an expensive process, but we're we're very happy with uh, the the teams that we have helping us, and we're uh, really happy with our own teams and the work that we've done thus far. Oh, I'm just glad I don't have any advice like that. 
Yeah, I guess I, he's glad he doesn't have any expensive advice like that. Um, looking at that bottom line, looking at those actual operating profits actually matters to some of these analysts. Not many of them, but some of them. Yeah, that was a fun exchange. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at fuel cell energy. I think we talked to these guys. We, we interviewed these guys, didn't we, like about a year ago, a year and a half ago? We did. They were one of our very first I know first we talked guests. to them about a year ago. Yeah. Um, this company has screwed up just about everything they've done. Everything that they've told us is always about to happen and always going to happen later. And they're building out for the future. And their CapEx numbers are going to go down someday, but they're going up this day. Well, they kept going up and kept going up and kept going up. And, and tell us what's happened to the stock, which reflects that, Isaac. Well, yeah, fuel cell energy trades under FCEL, F-Cell, and shares have dropped 21% in a month and lost 57% in a year. Um, yeah, not a not so a, a fun fun not a fun year for fuel cell. No, no, no. Down fifty seven percent. No. So look, this company uh, forever was was about to go alive with this big operation of of providing fuel cells and you know, basically batteries and you know, energy uh, uh, um, consolidation projects um, for this Groton submarine base, Groton, uh, Connecticut, big U.S. submarine base there, right across the river from the uh, the Thames River from New London, Connecticut. Have you been there, Isaac? Oh, yeah. You haven't been to New London, Connecticut. Right there. <laughs> yes, uh, The towns go in order <laughs> from uh, New London, lovely. Groton, almost as lovely. Mystic, Connecticut, incredibly lovely. Uh, beautiful places, but not a beautiful place for fuel cell because they've been involved in this giant Groton submarine project for years. And they kept saying it's going to get better and it's going to get on and it's coming in late and it's coming late. Well, they finally got to uh, the commencement of commercial operations, what they call COD, on the U.S. Navy submarine base in Groton. And they're doing 7.4 megawatts of, uh, of energy generation. And it's still behind schedule. It hasn't been as profitable as they wanted. It's just kind of been a big mess and a big slowly emerging mess for this company. And now they're moving on and spending money to develop other businesses in other places. And you start to wonder, do these guys learn anything from this process, well, CEO Jason Few says, uh, yeah, uh, no, uh, yeah, uh, no. Here's Jason Few. Yeah, no, in every implementation we do, one of our practices is to really look at lessons learned, how we can improve, you know, everything from the core technology itself through the EPC process that we use to construct a, a project in terms of how we engage on site with the the host of the platform and so there's certainly a lot of lessons learned with our implementation and in Groton and we will certainly put all of those to work in addition to that through the through this process we've obviously made improvements to the platform in terms of how we deal with thermal management we've taken all of those lessons and we'll continue to to look at how those lessons apply across our fleet, whether it's the existing fleet or on the work that we're doing around, you know, new technologies and innovations for our new platforms. And so, um, you know, certainly a lot learned and we're, we're glad that we are at COD and we're going to continue to do things to optimize that platform as we've indicated. So optimizing the platform yeah, uh, this company has done everything but optimize its platform thus far as reflected in the stock price. And I can't, uh, maybe it's a personal beef. I've got a friend, uh, whenever I would ask him a straight question, I used to work with this guy and it's hard to get a straight answer out of him. And he would start every question you would ask him with, he'd say, 
Yeah, no. Oh, that's frustrating. Yeah, no. That's very annoying. No, yeah. Oh. Wait, wait, which is it? Does he live here in L.A. with me? Sounds like a very L.A. <laughs> phrase. It sounds like a, a Hollywood executive. Yes. Yes, Maybe no. yellow lighting your project. <laughs> Did you like the script? Yeah, no. Uh-huh, not well, really. It's, here be, in Silicon Valley, it's the same thing. We really liked your pitch deck. deck. Stay in touch with us. Let us know how it goes. We're not giving you a dime, you loser. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Ah, uh, yes. Right. Hey, before we get to our big interview, a correction and a clarification a few weeks ago. We gave you our interview with Ilium, the Munich-based company that's trying to make a flying car. Well, just after we interviewed the company's co-founder, Daniel Vigand, and before we ran the interview, a few big things changed for Lilium. We talked about the company's perilous cash burn rate, but Lilium raised $119 million just before Thanksgiving, selling 92 million shares at $1.30 with 46 million warrants uh, tossed in. And to be clear, uh, Vigand is no longer CEO, and although he told us that their orders were, quote, non-binding, the company has since, uh, quote, secured deliveries of 10 aircraft to a company called Evolaire, and that a pre-delivery payment will be made in early 2023. So at this moment, the stock's trading $1.19. We're glad we got the time with Vigan. We hope to talk to the company in the future. But coming up now, our conversation with Yancey Spruill. His company, DigitalOcean, competes with the likes of Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, but with a peculiar focus on startup companies Interesting things from DigitalOcean, CEO interview, right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by Yancey Spruill, the CEO of DigitalOcean. Yancey, glad to have you on the show again. You're on one of our very first shows. Um, uh, and uh, for those uh, listeners who weren't around then or haven't gone back to the archives, uh, uh, DigitalOcean, a fascinating uh, company in providing um, uh, uh, services to small, medium-sized businesses, but tech services. Um, how, how do you try to describe this when you're in a fancy Boulder, Colorado cocktail party? <laughs> Uh, they're not too fancy in Boulder, but uh, oh, yeah. there's plenty of cocktails. The, um, <laughs> Go Buffs. We're a public cloud infrastructure company, which means uh, we provide basic compute uh, storage and network, which is frequently known as infrastructure as a service, where we rent access to our t one of our tens of thousands of computer servers that are spread across uh, many regions around the world. We just announced a new location in Sydney, Australia today. And people can have, instead of owning their own computer and their storage and their connectivity to the data center and their own data center and managing all the infrastructure around that, they just rent a portion of ours. Uh, we serve over 700,000 customers, uh, mostly small, medium-sized businesses. We're in 185 countries. And, um, you know, as of uh, last quarter, uh, we generated, um, you know, over $600 million in uh, uh, ARR. Uh, we're a free cash flow positive uh, company, imagine and um, we we are imagine that we were just crossing that when we just got onto the podcast, and uh, we crossed it, and uh, we're accelerating that into the double digits now. So very proud of that. But we really serve the entrepreneurs of the world. We're focused on the seventy billion dollar segment of 
cloud that is small, medium-sized businesses, uh, software developers, people who are looking to get their start and taking their idea and putting it on the internet and living a dream uh, and realizing a dream of entrepreneurship and being their own boss and uh, running their own business. That's a $70 billion uh, market. Uh, people are much more fig uh, familiar with the larger market, which is you know, related, uh, which is several times larger than ours, more than $300 billion, where the Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, Azure, Google Cloud, those sorts of folks play. They're focused more on large enterprises. Right. We're focused on small, medium-sized businesses, companies less than 500 employees. Yeah, Oracle Cloud, I'd throw in there too. It's interesting because from the Amazon perspective in particular, you would think Amazon, which is so focused on small dollar purchases by individuals in its Amazon.com business, would be have the the uh, the facility, uh, pun intended, but would have the facility to uh, deal with small businesses and small entrepreneurs. And uh, from you know, and they of course they say that they do, and some small businesses do attempt to use AWS and other things. But you guys really make a focus of uh, and and point out how Amazon really doesn't serve those small businesses. What what do you, what do you see there from from the customer side? So it's really important when you're serving small businesses that, you know, when you think about a small business, it could be as many as two people, five people, 10 people. Typically, they want to concentrate their their people's efforts on customers, their customers, whether it's product, sales, marketing, the, the uh, administration side of, of the business. And they don't want to uh, have to focus their effort time on managing infrastructure. Um, and when they do what they do have to, you know, a digital business, you got to run it on a computer. So run it in the cloud. But when you do make a decision to run it somewhere, it has to be easy. It has to be simple. It has to be low friction. And when you get stuck, you need help. And that's a core aspect of our um, our offerings are they're layered in simplicity. Um, you know, it's so easy that in the time we just started this conversation, you could be up and running coding on our platform. Um, it's simple to add uh, new resources. It's, it's simple to uh, take them down, add other applications. Um, we have over 40,000 tutorials and other documents that enable people to learn and grow and, and help them get unstuck when they're stuck. We also offer support to all customers. And that's an integrated experience that's layered in simplicity. Um, that's very different than uh, some of the larger companies where when your go-to-market motion is focused on large enterprises, that's about complexity. We're about serving a different end of the market with simplicity. It's different. Um, and um, there's no right or wrong. It's just that's what our end of the segment of the market. We're highly differentiated in doing that. And just for you know uh, an example, you know Amazon launched a competing service called LightSail back in 2016 that was supposed to be a slimmed down version of the cloud. Uh, we were under 100 million dollars in revenue at that time, so we've grown nearly six over six x since then. And um, you know there's no question the larger players do capture some portion. We're in a, as I mentioned a 70 billion dollar market is large, but we think that we offer this differentiation that's really focused on the experience and not so much the depth and breadth of the technology and the applications. We're not trying to compete with the larger folks pound for pound on tech, but we're trying to uh, offer our customers a very simple on-ramp to the internet that allows them to become entrepreneurs and realize their dream of, of 
of building their own business. It also is interesting uh, in terms of sort of the, the the average ticket size, if you will, or I don't know what you how do you refer to your revenue per customer. But while yeah. you come in at the very low end, you had an interesting graphic in your most recent quarterly earnings about the um, the percentage of customers that are spending more than fifty dollars a month, and it's a, the vast majority. Well, it's an interesting dichotomy. Companies uh, come to us and start small, and then many of them when they realize that idea, they get it tested and they, they launch their business. And then we're able to support the unleashing of that business and the growing and the scaling of that business. So when you look at our total customers, 15% or roughly um, uh, 150 or so thousand of our customers uh, uh, by logos represent 86% of our total revenue. And so these are customers who average revenue per customer substantially higher than our overall uh, number, which we just crossed $1,000 a a year or 80 bucks of MRR uh, per customer. So we're just crossing that $1,000, which is up significantly over over the last few years. Um, Those could be, you know, an order of magnitude larger than that. Um, But at the same time, uh, that's what's fueling our business. We're about serving the entrepreneur, the budding entrepreneur, the dreaming entrepreneur, and giving them an on-ramp to where they know that they can start simple and build and scale. And we're going to be, we're going to grow with them. We're going to be reliable as they need more reliability. We're going to be secure as they need more security. And we have this range of apps, software applications, pass platform as a service, like our managed Kubernetes, our managed databases, our marketplace that give them more optionality to do more of their growing workflow as they grow and scale uh, on DigitalOcean. So we're supporting that SMB uh, ecosystem and supporting their growth. So knowing that 15% of your customers are 86% of your revenues, um, it, it's, I get that uh, I'll, I'll say, okay, fine. You keep your, keep your uh, uh, entry level offering because that's how you get those other customers to, to run up the, the, the pay scale um, or the revenue scale. But, but I wonder um, you guys made a really interesting decision this year to lower the cost of your entry level products. Um, and I think any business in, of any kind can look at this and say, what if we lowered our prices, what would the effect be? And what you talked about in the conference call was how much uh, a lot of customers didn't drift down to that cheaper level of service that you might've been afraid they would do so. Yeah, I don't know that we were afraid that they would do so. What we wanted to do was c- create some more differentiation on the earlier stage um, a product. Historically, we had one entry level uh, a- aspect of compute, which we call Droplet. It was $5. And it was for the hobbyist who had no intentions of doing much beyond just testing code. And it was for somebody who wanted to create a $100 million business. And what we did was we said, we're going to differentiate that. We're going to create a $4 Droplet that has less capability. And so if you do have higher aspirations, you're going to need to go to a higher Droplet. And then we created, we moved the $5 to the $6 droplet up to a $6. And so we bifurcated five down from to four as the new entry level and six. And we have uh, seen very few people downgrade because what we're seeing is most of the customers that come to DigitalOcean, whether they start their business today or in three or five years, that is the most of their aspirations. And so they wanna have an environment out of the box that will support those aspirations. So we, we, we 
you know, uh, I know that a lot of our investors into the outside world, it seemed risky that we were cutting prices. Um, and we did. We, we, but we also slimmed down the utilization of that to a much narrower set of use cases. And so we're trying to better match people on their stage of the journey of just being a hobbyist, just testing to wanting to launch and scale a business. And that's, we accomplished that, very proud of that. And uh, in doing so, we, we, we're getting people where they best are optimized for, to realize their aspiration. And did you see an increase in customers or, or attracting new customers or keeping new customers at that low price? I mean, obviously, the lower price is for a reason. Yeah, we actually have fewer, we, you know, we, you do a lot of business analytics and you kind of uh, assign a base case to what you expect to happen when you announce anything new, uh, certainly in this case with the pricing changes. And the number of people moving to either net new customers or existing customers who downgraded to the, uh, to the entry level price is far, far less than we expected. So most people have uh, moved up um, uh, into uh, into the, the pricing and uh, because of the functionality and what it highlights to us, it ratifies to us is the value proposition we have of a highly scalable, highly reliable, uh, highly secure set of infrastructure that's global, that supports anybody trying to build and grow uh, a digital business. And I think what we've seen with the pricing changes and the impact that's had on our growth and our trajectory in the business has ratified our capabilities and our positioning in the marketplace. And I'd mentioned that two of uh, two competitors in our space, uh, after we announced uh, a pricing uh, increases or changes, also announced some price increases. So I think that's also a ratification of, of where we where we're positioned in the marketplace. We've got a situation I'm painfully aware of uh, in uh, my neighbors of of Twitter and Salesforce and. Facebook has a big operation right here in downtown San Francisco and others um, uh, uh, laying off lots of people, lots of uh, uh, people in technology losing their jobs. And I wonder what that, if you've seen a change in your environment of people starting things already, because um, I would imagine your company would benefit from lots of new startups happening if that's indeed what some of these people who've been cast off uh, are want to do. Yeah, there's certainly uh, lots of evidence over uh, generations that when there's economic uh, disruption um, and recessions, uh, you see a new new business formation sparks spikes, and uh, the data has come out uh, in the 2020 pandemic. Uh, we saw that, you know, we saw that in our business. I, I think we absolutely are seeing a healthy, uh, steady stream of new customers signing up on our platform uh, this year. Um, and in this environment, and uh, we expect that to continue. Um, but can you, know, you tie the two events? Some, can you can you tie the layoffs to the pickup you've seen in your business? Uh, I don't know that we could tie the layoffs, but I would I would say that you know we're not seeing net new customer growth on the platform uh, decline. Uh, we're seeing it be very healthy, and uh, we don't survey every person to get every detail of where you recently laid off or you starting a business. But the typical person that starts month one and are, is, you know, either has a day job or is in supplementing with that with this uh, idea or quit a day job. I've met so many customers in my three plus years here uh, who were was an engineer at a large Silicon Valley, uh, well-known tech company who uh, tested an idea on our platform, learned to code on our platform with our tutorials, launched an idea into uh, a, a 
um, got traction on that idea, quit their day job, and is now running a company uh, on DigitalOcean. So I certainly expect that to accelerate now as people, um, there is some dislocation in tech. They certainly have the skills and the experience. We're a low cost, low friction, simple, easy to use platform that can uh, help them uh, achieve uh, their objectives and, and dreams. So, uh, but tying that directly, you know, it's right now in the fog of it. So I don't know that we could do that, but I think as we get some more extended time from this period, we'll see that there were blips um, that were tied to it. Yeah, I also wonder if the um, the the relocation, right? The people who've been working from home, wherever home ended up being and are now being told to go back to the office might also lead to another another kind of round of people starting new things. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, we've embraced the whole idea of remote. We're 100% remote um, and uh, we haven't mandated people go back to our office. And, um, you know, with, that's led to really high retention. You know, in this environment, I'm really... <laughs> really excited the fact that uh, we've been able to retain our employees where I think a lot of people to your point when they've had the mandates to go back are shedding that and obviously there's plenty of jobs I don't know how that'll be now in tech with uh, a more challenging macro environment and hiring situation but um, you know I, I, I you know again we're seeing very steady healthy trends around new customer signups um, and um, you know I think that's a testament to our you know how easy it is to get access to us, and it's and uh, and and the price points, you know, pretty nice, and um, and we have the right set of capabilities that help these people who have a lot of skills uh, go realize those and test them out uh, on, on our platform. Yancy Spruill is the CEO of Digital Ocean. Yancy, we're grateful for your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good to be with you again. All right, coming up next on the drill down, the drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Digital Ocean when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And perhaps you're used to using your smart speaker to listen to the latest Taylor Swift album, but no, you can say, hey, smart speaker, play the drill down podcast and hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. And we're back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about digital ocean. In this case, Isaac, you heard uh, uh, Yancey Spruill talking about the 150,000, he called it 140,100 um, customers spending more than 50 bucks a month, just about 15% of their customer yeah. base. But those customers spending $50 a month have increased a lot. A lot. In the last year. You want to guess the percentage? 100%. Increase in 100%. one year? It is 50%. It is half of 100. 50% <laughs> increase. That's still in the pretty last, substantial. Uh, Q321 to Q322. Yeah, well, given that that's, um, uh, you know, 80, well over 80% of the revenues, that's super impressive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, improvement in that. He was dropping some very impressive numbers in that in interview. Well, the the impressive number they don't drop, and we don't talk about stock price a lot here, but the stock has gotten absolutely pummeled along with uh, the rest of the tech stock world. Um, but the the numbers keep coming in and get, getting higher for this company. I mean, revenue revenues of a year ago were 111 uh, million bucks in the third quarter, 152 million this quarter, so 37 percent growth. 
mm-hmm. as he mentioned, profitable, free cash flow generating, adding new customers, adding high paying customers. Yep. Uh, uh, everything seems all all the important things are up to the right, except for the stock price. Yeah. Can I can I make a personal plug right here? Oh, really? Yeah, a personal plug I'm here. I'm going to pat myself on the back for just a moment. Way back in the day, when Digital Ocean was just starting, I had him on Bloomberg Television for the first time. Oh yeah, and I, yeah, and I had to fight to get him on the get him on because it was a brand new company, but they were doing very interesting things. Um, and uh, look at them now. That was probably you feel like, like a proud father. I do a little bit in a weird way. It's of course completely unfounded, but this is about uh, eight. I guess like eight, ten years ago, maybe at this point. Yeah. If only you'd you'd bought the stock at the same time, or or, the, or shorted it last year when we had a more, <laughs> uh, interesting company. Nonetheless, no, we do not buy. We do not trade the stocks no, we that we have on our That's a big, uh, buy big no, or no. sell or trade them that we have on the show, so that you can trust these interviews as bad as they might be, or unbiased <laughs> by our personal holdings. I'm Corey Johnson, uh, grateful for your time. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. And The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.